if you're uh, visiting with us, we have been uh, doing a study, actually a rather long study, on the person of Peter, the apostle, the lead apostle. We've looked at him in the Gospels and the book of Acts when we've just got to know him in his life and some of the experiences he had, especially with Jesus. Now we're looking at the book of First Peter, the letter to First Peter, and then we'll do Second Peter, um, now that we've met him and understand who he is. Um, we are now in Second Peter. We are in chapter 3, the second part. And, um, and if you lay out Peter organizationally a little bit, he's shifting in this very passage um, to another theme. He has been talking about the fact that we are citizens of heaven, um, and that citizenship uh, impacts how we live here today. Um, but he is now shifting to a new theme, and he's going to continue today through it, and then actually next week as we look at some significant verses. And Peter's a practitioner. He is, he's a practical guy, although you'll find out this morning he has something incredibly intense to talk to us about. But I want to start in a very disturbing way. I hope I won't upset you too much, but I want to talk about an event that has happened not so long ago. If you, uh, if you follow the news, March 27th, a Monday morning, a girl dressed full, totally in, in, uh, in, in, in with, uh, with, with uh, protection stuff and, and, uh, and uh, vests and hat, walked into a Christian school, blew out the door actually, walked in with three guns, and within 14 minutes had killed three children, nine years old girls, and three adults. It's called the Nashville Shooting Victims, and it's an interesting story as I started to look at it. Now, these shootings are happening all over the place, but I was, for some reason, drawn to look at how our world was talking about this event. Now, if, if you know the story at all, this girl had gone to school when she, in, in, she was 28 years old. She had gone to school in this Christian school when she was a little girl. This is only an elementary school up to grade six, uh, pre, preschool, kindergarten up to grade six. So these are little kids. And she chose this place to come and kill. Some of you uh, play video games, and you, you know what the word first-person first, first shooter is. If you watch this girl, you will see her following that kind of pattern. Um, in fact, somebody in the news got a hold of her through the camera system, and it's played again and again and again as she searches rooms looking for people to kill. Luckily, the Nashville police came fast and and put her, uh, stopped her, which meant the end of her own life. But she actually was expecting that and planning for that. What's interesting about this, and the reason I want to bring this up today, is to watch the response of the world and the news and the government to this. There was this outcry. It was starting to happen right away throughout the news service, and, and it hit the news services all across the world. But what was interesting, what was said, 
if, if you started to listen to, to the government uh, spin on the whole thing, the government started to stand up and say, this is a transgender person who did this. Uh, a girl who felt like she was a boy inside. And, 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 and therefore, we have to give her grace. And, 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 and she had struggles. And, and the whole focus was, was on her. In fact, in the White House, the, the news person of the White House said, we have to be careful because transgenderism is under attack. This person has just killed six people and transgenderism is under attack. If you, if you went to the news and started to hear the spin of that, they started to spin not about the event, but about the, the various needs in our society that we need to get guns under control. This girl had bought seven guns, brought three to the event. But it wasn't about guns. And, and, and then the transgender uh, groups were standing up and saying, but look at the violence per, uh, pressured on us and all of that kind of thing. And that may be true, that may be not true, but it missed the whole event. Who talked about these young lives gone? Who talked about these, these professional teachers and janitor, who, who, a principal, a teacher, a janitor, who, who committed their lives to this Christian school? Talked about the parents or the churches that were impacted by this tragic event. Actually, it was interesting because I became very frustrated. I listened to news after news after news. No one talked about the victims. Or they did in this passing totem kind of way of, oh, yeah, it's so tough. And then they went on to their preaching points. Until I listened to one. Um, I, you may have known her. You may not know her. Her name is Blair White. Blair White is a trans transgender she, is, she literally talks about herself as a transgender, but legitimately the psychological part as a gender dysphoria. She was born in South Africa. She was, she was brought up in a Christian home. She went to a Christian school. And things spun out of control. She sadly lost her faith. And yet as she watched this, her first comment to this event was, why aren't people talking about this as a Christian hate crime? Now, let me contrast that with a, a text that was put out by an individual right after this event. And this will disturb you. But listen to what this one David Parkman said. He says, very surprising that there would be a mass shooting at a Christian school given the, that the lack of prayer is often blamed for these horrible events. Is, is it possible that weren't, they weren't praying enough or correctly, correctly despite being a Christian school? How insulting. How dis, dysfunctional. Blair's comment was, this is a Christian hate crime. In our day, with all of our technology and all of our, our understanding and all of our science and all of the knowledge about people and all of this, this is a hate crime. Is this something Christians are going to expect? With this in mind, we go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 
In verse 13, Peter starts off with a question. And, and, and if, if you and I, out of this context, have been told this question, it would kind of seem ludicrous. Peter starts off with this question, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, I don't know about you. If, 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 if I do something good, I expect kind of one of three responses. If I do good, I will be rewarded for doing good. Or if I do good, someone will come up to me and say, I, I really appreciate what you did. Or someone else may come up to me and say, well, thank you for that. I, I noticed how you did that. I appreciate that. Peter's saying, so, but who's going to harm you if you do good? And Peter says, I want you to hear this. He says, I want you to hear that there is going to come a time for the Christian church when you will seek to do good and hold to truth and do what is righteous and do what is holy, and they will persecute you for that. Verse 14, but, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed or made happy. Happy is an interesting word there because it's the same happy he uses in Beatitudes, that you can do these things and, and even if you suffer, you will be happy inside. He later on says, it is better if it, it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, that's been a theme he's talked about previously in our study. But Peter is saying, there's going to come a time in your life, in my life, when you will seek to do that which is good, and it will cause a reaction opposite to what's normal. Have you watched how our world is twisted? Have you watched how, how our world has, has re, re, is reacting in the most bizarre ways? A shooter kills six people, three little girls, and the trans is under attack? Now, Peter is actually being prophetic in this, in this passage. He is writing somewhere between 62 and 64. We don't know exactly much, but there's going to come a persecution in the Roman Empire against Christians. It will start in the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. Nero, who's the crazy Caesar at that time, who felt he was kind of a god, decided he was going to, to reshape or rebuild or redesign Rome. According to historians, and this is a, a little bit of a debate, but according to historians, he arranged for Rome to be burnt. Now, this is a, a, a city with, with things are, are, are built tight and, and, and next to each other and, and, and all of that. It wouldn't have been hard to do. And once it started going, it exploded. It went for days. Burned, I think it was four, four quarters of the entire city. And he had to come in and rebuild it. Now, rumors started to fly around and say, who's, who's the, who started that fire? And rumors were starting to come forward and people were saying, it was Caesar. Caesar did, Nero did it. Nero caused all of these deaths and all of this destruction, and Nero needed a scapegoat. And so he started to blame the Christians. This would start the first mass, massive Gentile persecution against the Christian church. Caesars for years to come would look, after, look at the Christians and seek to attack them, even though they were doing good and being peaceful. 
I don't know if you've watched this in our society, but when, when someone is attacking you, there's been a spreading of lies that aren't true, and it happened back then. For instance, uh, one of the things that they started to say is that these Christians are atheists. Oh, what does that mean? That meant that at that time, the, only the Christians and the Jews believed there's only one God. All the rest believed there are thousands of gods and you could worship whatever one you wanted. And, and, and if you only believed in one God, then somehow you're an atheist and that was causing all the other gods to upset and cause trouble. That's a lie. They, they were saying that these Christians were cannibals because we heard that when they'd come together, they would take and eat flesh and drink blood. Now, you know the lie of that. That's the communion table, and they actually don't eat flesh, and they don't drink blood. They eat, eat bread, which symbolizes Christ's body, and, and, and wine, which symbolizes Christ's blood. Or, or they'd say that those, those, there's all kinds of incense and sexual immorality among those Christians. They have love feasts, and they will come together, and who knows what happens behind closed doors. Actually, those love feasts were what we call today, get this, a potluck. Everybody would bring their own food and share it with one another. It was nothing to do with sexuality. Or they would say that they're treasonous. Some Christians would not go and, and, and start to um, and not enroll as soldiers in Rome because they didn't want to kill. So all these lies were spread and a persecution started unlike anything the Colosseum had been built and it was turned into a, a theater of blood as Christians were, were thrown into the arena and, and hungry lions were turned upon them or, or, or they, so others were burnt to death on poles and well, everybody laughed and enjoyed it and, 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 and gladiators would come and kill these helpless people, men, women, and children because they believed in Jesus Christ. Now, this would come. And I want to suggest to you that even in our world today, this is happening. An increasing hap events are starting to happen in our world where I will be suffering. Some of it will be about what you believe. You believe about morality or values or truth. I don't know if you've watched it, but it's bizarre to watch in our culture how truth has been attacked. We'll have professors stand up and say, two plus two does not equal four. What? It, it, can, it can do whatever you want. That's bizarre. That's crazy. You may be a man. You may be a woman. You could change it is what they're saying. And I, and I could just go on and on. Or, or the lies that are told, those Christians are terribly intolerant. Do you know that Christians started almost every university, Harvard, Canada, all of these ones. We started ma the major emphasis on the hospital systems. I, I, I was reading a book on, on, the, on, the, on the development. Did you know that it was Christian monks who, who learned how to, how to make metal plows? So you could farm. Did did you know that they they that they actually um, made made the 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 now the name just disappeared around a horse's neck so that they could pull so you could put two or three horses together and they could pull a plow. Christians have given and given and given and given, and yet there's been a turning. 
even though I haven't done anything wrong, there is a growing opposition to Christianity. Now, Jesus predicted this. In fact, as we come to the last days, and, and as you, some of you know, I believe that we're in the last days, this will increase. I grew up reading stories about communist Russia and the persecution of the church and the gulags and, 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 and all of those kind of things. I, I started reading about China and, and the underground church there trying to survive as the communists came through. We are not there yet, but glimmers of it are happening. And Peter is writing to these kind of people and saying, I, I, I need to write to you. I want to talk to you how to respond. Now, he will not know how important that will be in the future, but this is a critical thing for you and I, even today, to understand. So how do we respond? When moments of suffering come into our life, whether it's, it's someone who we love and care about rejecting us because we don't agree with their beliefs or values or, or the ideologies of this world, or, or, or whether we're in employment or in a school setting and we're asked to do things that we, are cho we choose not to do, how do we respond according to Peter? Well, he, he begins with a very simple response. He, said, he says to you and I, the, the, but verse, verse uh, 18, he says this, he says, he says uh, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for what, you, let me read it closer, my eyes are going old age. But, it, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do not do this with gentleness and respect. Be prepared to give an answer. The first response of the Christian is saying, let me explain to you why I believe this or why I hold to this value or why I hold to this truth. Are you prepared? There, there's, a, there's a whole field of Christian studies called apologetics. And apologetics simply means the defense of your faith. It, it, it says, why do, why do we believe in Christ rather than Buddha or, or Confucius or Muhammad or, or Joseph Smith or other groups? What, what is it about Christianity that, that, that draws us and holds us and helps us believe? And they will give you lots of information and lots to help. I don't know if you've listened to some of these apologists, but they're incredibly gifted, brilliant men and women of God who God has just anointed upon them to see through things and to say, but here's the real issue and here's the real truth. Now, for some of you, this is... This is how you function. It was like, I love when people ask me questions. And, and for some of you, it's the most fearful thing in the world. What if they ask me that question that will, I won't know the answer to? Well, that, that, the answer to that is easy. Then you seek the answer and get back to them. That's all. 
But, but we have a world that's asking questions. As, as the Christian church is distinguishing itself, separating itself, becoming more unique in the rest of the world and its values and ideologies, the questions are going to be answered more and more. What, why, why do you believe? Why do you guys gather on Sunday? Why, why do you give your money to the church? Why, why do you? And, and, and all of these kind of questions are being asked. And there's many who really do want to know. <coughs> so here's the question. Can you answer? This requires you and I to take some time to think through what some of the questions are. And, 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 and to prepare and, and, and kind of study. I know that sounds terrible. But to study and, and, and prepare some answers to respond to those kind of questions. So what are the most typical kinds of questions? It's interesting, I was, I was thinking about that this, this morning, even as I was praying through this and, and trying to work it through and saying, so Lord, what am I constantly asked? Or, or what? So when I was brought up, here's the question that was asked. When I die, how do I go to heaven? Because it was the culture that I was growing up in that believes in heaven and hell. Now, for many Christians today, they're still answering that question even though many in the world aren't asking that question anymore. We, we have a myth that is being perpetuated by, by the, the, the false ideologies that, well, everybody goes to heaven, don't they? Doesn't God love everybody no matter what they do? That's absolutely a ridiculous thing. You mean Hitler's going to heaven? Stalin's going to heaven? Of course not. There has to be a distinction. And, and so the question is, if, if, I want, if I'm to die and, and I have come to that place saying, I, I want to go to heaven, how do I do that? And what, what, what will I need to do for that to take place? Well, that's a gospel message. But I want to suggest to you that there's a second common question being asked to you and I. What can Jesus do for me today? Why do I need to follow Jesus today in this world at this time. Now behind that question is an understanding that Christians are called to be different. They're called to be separate. They're called to be unique. They're called to have morals and, and, and values and standards that reflect what Jesus teaches. So if someone said to you, how can I experience Jesus today? How would you answer that? Now, we could go into this in all kinds of levels. For instance, the, the Bible tells us again and again that when you're asked that kind of question, the Holy Spirit is kind of sitting there waiting to help you. And as you listen to him and as you respond to him, he will help you understand why they're asking that question and how to answer it in a way that's helpful, invitational, change, transformational. But I, I, I want to suggest even deeper. Why have you placed your hope in Jesus Christ? Now, I, I could answer that in a variety of le levels. I could answer that historically because I could, I could take you through the history and, and, and what we just did last week with, with the resurrection of Jesus, the factual resurrection that he not only died, but he rose again. And I could take you to that historical part. 
I could take you to an experiential part. That as I have been obedient and walking with the Lord and listening to the Lord, I have heard him speak to me. I've heard him guide me. I've heard him strengthen me. I've heard him heal me. I've experienced him healing me. I've experienced him personally. Now, does that come immediately? No. And is that something we kind of want a magic Jesus to fix all our problems? He doesn't do that. But he's calling us to obey him. And as we do, we will be changed and transformed. Are you prepared to answer this question? Now, as Peter tells us this, he actually gives us some, what I would suggest are guidelines. Uh, rules or regulations or, or ways of, of, of thinking about this as you prepare yourself, as you, as you seek to help with these, these questions that you are being asked. First is, he says, I, I want you to establish, first of all, in your mind, that in your heart you have set apart Jesus Christ as your Lord. That's interesting. Because I can introduce you to Christians all over the world who want Jesus to be their Savior, to forgive their sins so they go to heaven. But Jesus says, I will only be Savior if I am also your Lord, that have the authority and right to rule over your life. And Peter says, if you want to answer properly, the first step is to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I will listen to you. I will seek to obey you. I will seek to conform myself into your image. Critically, the first thing he says to do. Then he says, I want you to focus. Do not fear what they fear. Well, what's that? What's the greatest fear in our world? I know what it is. It's death. I have seen even strong Christians at the, at the point of death wrestling with their, how do I know for sure? And Jesus comes in and brings his peace to them. We live in a world that says, the worst thing I could do for you is put you to death. And the Christian smiles and says, actually, that's not the worst thing because you do that to me. I get to go to heaven. And, 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 and Christians all over the world of Peter's time would stand up and give their lives for their faith. Fear would be pushed aside because their faith would be stronger and deeper. Is yours? Then he says, he, he says I want, this is how I want you to speak. I want you to speak with gentleness and I want you to speak respectfully. Have you ever had a preacher preach at you? You know, loud, arrogant, aggressive, condescending. How stupid are you? He says, don't do that. Treat these people respectfully and gently and seek to answer their questions. There's some that are going to say, I, I, don't, I don't understand you. Or, or I, I, I understand you now, but I, I don't agree with you. And, and you know what? Over a period of time, that will come. Because the, the moment you start this conversation, the Holy Spirit is working in their heart and in their mind as well. And even though they may leave you, you may never see them again, but he's not left them. He's drawing them to the King of kings and Lord of lords. He says, also I want you to keep truth. He says, keep a clear conscience. That's that inner conviction of when we've done right and done wrong. 
He says, when, when, you, when you're doing this, I want you to make sure your life is clear and sp- clean and spotless. And there's, there's nothing they can say, well, yeah, I, I, yeah, you say you're a Christian, but I've seen how you function at work. Or I've seen you function with some of your friends and the language you're using or the, the things that you're saying. And, and he says, don't let your life contradict what you're saying. Does your life do that? The last thing he says, he, 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 says, he, he talks about their testimony. Don't give them an opportunity to slander you. You say you're a Christian, but I know. Be innocent as lambs is one of the scriptural passages. So Peter gives you all of these kind of things. He says, he says, this is what I've called you to do. Be prepared to give an answer. Here's some guidelines. And then he does something interesting. Because remember, the context is, is about talking to others about Christ. But even when you do good, you will suffer. So Peter gives you two examples of those who did good, did what was right, and suffered for it. And out of that, he draws some applications. Who's the first one? Well, you know, Peter. He can't he can't go anywhere without talking about Jesus. And Jesus is the primary example of that one who, can, who, can, uh, who is guiltless, without any fault, without any sin, and yet they made him suffer to the point of death on the cross. Remember what we said last week? Pilate says, I I don't find anything wrong with him. He's not done anything. Why are you guys wanting to put him to death? Now watch this verse. If you are an underliner, if you have a Bible and you highlight things, or if you have your phone and you, you highlight that part, you know, it turns all yellow and all that stuff, this is a verse. Listen to what Peter says. For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, you and me, to bring you to God. He has put to death, he was put to death in the body, but made alive, resurrected by the Spirit. Now, I want you to not miss what he just did. In one verse, Peter has just given you the gospel message. That's what he's just done. Now, there's other verses that you can go through in Scripture, but this is one of those classic ones. If, if, if someone says, what does it mean for Jesus? To, why did he die and all? This is it. For Christ died for sins once and for all. Otherwise, no matter whatever you've sinned, all those sins that are piled up, if you ask forgiveness from Jesus, he will wash them fully away. If, if, if you sin again, you just need to go to them that, they'll be washed away. For Christ died for sins once and for all. The righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, he died for you and me. Why? To bring you to God so that you may enter heaven so that you may enter God's presence, so that you may look at the Father God on his throne and say, Father, because he's adopted you into his kingdom, that you may see the celestial city and it will be your home for you were a citizen there. He was put to death on the body. He did die. We looked at that last week. 
and made alive Resurrection Sunday by the Spirit of God, by the power of God. Capsulized. Christ, who did no wrong, suffered, and out of it came this incredible salvation. Now, for me, this would have been enough. You know how preachers, they keep going on and on. But Peter takes us to a separate place. In fact, it's a kind of a bizarre place. It's a place where theologians have debated for centuries. But he's trying to illustrate the same point. Do you know someone who literally has suffered for doing good? He takes us back to the Old Testament, to Genesis chapter 6, which is the story of Noah. Now, I don't know if you remember the story of Noah, but, but Noah lived in a time where the world had got, become so corrupt, it had become so offensive to God and its sin, that God says, I'm going to destroy it all. And then out of that, he calls one man, he calls a, a righteous man, Noah, and he, he says, you are holy and you are obedient and you are following me. You are doing that which is good and right. And therefore, I will save you. Now, if you know the story, Noah is, is instructed to build the ark and into that ark is, is placed two of every kind of animal and, and, and when the door of that ark is closed, it starts to rain and the whole world is flooded and drowned and all of these people are put to death for their sin. Now, what you may not know is it took Noah 120 years to build that ark and the Bible describes him as a preacher one who went around telling about, about this coming judgment and, and, and about their sins and about their need to repent of that. And this ark is a symbol of God saving you. And if you will repent of your sin and confess your sin and receive forgiveness, you can join me on that ark and be saved. And the whole world laughed at him, mocked him. Can you imagine being mocked for 120 years? Out of this story, Peter pulls two stories, two applications. They're kind of strange, but they're try- he's trying to make a point. Let me walk you through it. First of all, he's, he, says, he says when Jesus died, and we have to kind of put this in the context of, of the death and then the resurrection and sometime in between, the Bible says in this, Peter says in this passage that Jesus went to those spirits in prison from the time of Noah. And he preached to them. Now, here's the debate. The debate is, Jesus went back in time to preach to them? What was that about? Different Bible teachers have taken this and gone all over with this. Some think that this is a reference to Jesus' truth need for repentance and salvation, being put into Noah and Noah preaching to these people and them not repenting. Probably not. Others look at the words and say, spirits in prison. What's that about? And if you look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to to 4, you'll see that something awful happened. Evil spirits, fallen angels, there's different words put in, in the passage, actually in the passage, sons of God 
come down and see beautiful women and inhabit with them, and they have, are given children. Now, that's a whole sermon unto itself. But they spread a vileness, these fallen angels, a, 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 a sin, a, a, a destruction, a violence, a immorality that spreads through this whole world. And, 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 the, and the, the theologians would suggest to you that these demons are, are, are evil spirits or sons of God, uh, fallen angels, are so vile and so powerful that literally God took them and bound them into a place. And there's different words for them. Some translations use the word hell. Others will use the word tataris. And, and, and there's different expressions of that. But they are bound and separated from mankind and us. So they'll never do that again. Now, what's this word preached? Jesus went to preach. Now, that, that's a bit of a confusion. This word preach implies that Jesus went and preached to them. And, and some Christians look at this and say, he preached to them. What, so they could repent and be saved? No, 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 no. They had made their choice. It was done. That word in the original Hebrew means to proclaim or declare. Well, what did Jesus declare at the cross? Let me give you one word. That now judgment was on them. That they had, they had sinned and they were held and they were waiting for when that judgment will come. Now that the cross had finished, the times were set out and the judgment will come and, and they will be thrown into the lake of fire. Time was now ticking. Okay, now hold that one story. Well, let's look at the second story. Then he says, and there's another story of Noah. And, and, and he talks about how Noah went into the ark with his, his children and, and, the, and the ark was closed and they, and they floated on the water and then the water receded and landed on the mountain and they opened the door and came out and had a very new beginning. All mankind had been destroyed for their sin except for these who walked out of the ark. And Peter, by the way, really likes baptism, applied baptism to this. Now, if, if, you, if you know how we study in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter talks about the need to be baptized, that everyone who is a believer needs to be baptized. And as we started looking at that and Romans chapter 6, we started to realize that it's a symbolic act. It's a, it's a sacred act that all Christians are to do. And Matthew 28 says, command to make disciples and baptizing them. And, and so Peter takes that, and, and, and as you, we put it together, it, it has three parts. There is that old part. This is my old self. This is when I lived in sin. And then I go under the water, and as I go under the water, it, it symbolizes death. And then as I come out of the water, it symbolizes a new life, a new beginning with Jesus Christ. All my sins have been washed away. So Peter, knowing this, takes this story and says, it's kinda, baptism is kind of like the ark. The whole world was full of sin and vile and, and vicious and, and, and cruel and destructive and all of that. And, and, and then they got into the ark. And all of that was washed away and all of that was put to death. And then they came and they came out of the ark. And a new beginning happened. 
It's the picture of salvation. So why would Peter add this? He's added the gospel. He said, he said let me go further back. He says, first of all, I want you to understand that you need to be prepared to give an answer. And, and, and so why, why have you followed Christ? Why have you committed to Christ? And then he gives us an answer saying, it's because of the incredible salvation of Jesus Christ. And, and for everyone who hears this message, you have a choice. You have a choice of either going to judgment or you have a choice of salvation. You have a choice of resisting God and opposing God and therefore you will end in hell. Or you have a choice of repenting of your sin, putting it aside, ask Jesus' blood to wash it and cleanse it and make you anew. And you have the promise of a new life both here on this earth and in eternity with Jesus. Wow. There may be someone here who's never made the decision. Peter just laid it out for you. He explained the gospel to you and he explained the result of both choices. Wow. It's interesting he uses this picture of baptism. And I'm a Baptist minister, so let me just talk a bit. There's something about this sacred, symbolic practice that he calls us to do. There's something about it spiritually that changes us. I talked to one of the people the other day about it, and they said, I, I can't even explain it. I, I don't. When I did what I was commanded to do, I feel changed. Have you? And then Peter ends with these final words. He said, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven. So death, resurrection, ascension, and is at the God's right hand. Now listen to this. With angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So as suffering, as, as opposition, as, as, as hate comes toward the Christian church, even though we are doing good, we will be persecuted. We will be opposed. We will be hated. We will be rejected, abandoned. But when that happens, we must seek to give an answer to those who ask. And in that answer, let us include the gospel of Jesus Christ and the results of choosing him or not with the understanding that our God reigns. Don't ever forget, no matter what is happening to you, no matter how things work out in your life, some of you will never experience any persecution. Others may experience incredible persecution. But don't ever forget that your God reigns. He is in charge. And the last chapter of your story is you stepping into heaven. Wow. Now there's something to think about.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is really deep and this is intense. And I just thank you for this word. I would ask that you would help us to reflect today. Maybe there's some who've never made the choice. Put it off, waited, procrastinated, whatever. Allow them today to make that choice. There are some who need to be baptized. Let them choose that. There are some who need to start answering the questions they are being asked in a gentle and respectful way. I pray that as we walk with you in these days, we would reflect you in both our words and our deeds. I ask this in Jesus' name.